coming into the theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fills the air. The barkeep has my drink ready, motions me to the back. The rest of the crew's here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. I hope everyone is well out there in podcast land. We welcome you all with your ears and the oratory sounds that are coming across your eardrums and being accepted in a pleasant mood as we today with our dulcet tones bring you a conversation that will involve the film Demolition Man from 1993. And with me tonight is a wonderful crew who have decided to be well with me in our discussion of such an interesting film. First off, we have Angelique Bone. Angelique Bone, how are you today, Angelique Bone? I am full of joy, joy feelings, Mark the Movie Man. <laughs> Glad you have the joy, joy feelings. Be well, Angelique Bone. And Ian. <laughs> Ian Simmons is back with us as well. Hello, Ian Simmons. How is Ian Simmons doing today? I'm doing double plus good, mostly because I finally figured out those damn seashells. <laughs> Which is also why I'm sitting on a hemorrhoid balloon. <laughs> no, you're not supposed to scrape. You're supposed to... Pr Never mind. Uh <laughs> Sorry, I retract my statement. I have not figured out the seashells. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, 1993, it is Demolition Man. We are talking about as part of I Am The Law Month here in the spoiler room. So excited to have Ian and Angelique back. Thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a fun one, I think, for sure. So I think, Mr. Ian Simmons, you get uh, the joy this time of giving the synopsis of Demolition Man. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was like, please help me, please help me. <laughs> Go for it, dude. <laughs> In the far-flung year of 1996. I mean, it's, it's weird because this movie, it starts off almost like uh, a remake of, what was it? Uh, the Running Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you've got uh, instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger as the the you know paramilitary commander in a in a helicopter like gunning people down, you've got uh, Sylvester Stallone playing this military commander <clears throat> in a plane, a cargo plane, uh, tracking down Wesley Snipes's character, who's a a drug kingpin in los angeles which is a complete hellhole although that's that's not the science fiction part of the story <laughs> uh, he jumps out of a plane uh goes tracks the guy down because there's a school bus full of civilians that have been taken hostage uh things go horribly wrong um both wesley snipes and sylvester stallone who are simon phoenix is wesley snipes and john spartan as sylvester stallone this movie i love those it's a comic book, you know, through and through. They both wind up getting convicted. Uh, Snipes because he's a notorious killer and drug dealer. And um, 
Stallone because he's the cop who, because of his unconventional methods, he is the demolition man. Basically, when they send him on a mission, it's guaranteed that everything is going to be destroyed <laughs> for him to get his collar. The Cobra Cobra ready. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, which yeah, I'm telling you, there is there is a straight line. It's the family tree. But um, I, he gets convicted of manslaughter for the deaths of the 32 uh, civilians. And he's like, oh, people, I was, no one was around. I don't do it. I am the law. That's the next one. But um, <laughs> they get cryogenically frozen. Uh, and woken up you know, several decades later in the, the was it the 2032, I yep. think it is? 2032, yep. No, it's the 2032. The I don't 2032, know like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> years, years after the COVID, no. Uh, so they get resurrected for their par- parole hearing, or uh, sorry, Phoenix does, the bad guy. Uh, he manages to break out of his captivity and run amok, and the... PC peace loving citizens of the not so far future. They don't have weapons. They don't have real policing skills because everything is hunky dory. They thought out John Spartan to come and take down the, the man that he went away trying to defend everyone from Uh, chaos ensues. There's more demolition. And uh, then Dennis Leary shows up and does his thing. (laughs) There's a conspiracy. I, you know, it's weird. And I know we're going to be talking about this film at another point, but I watched Demolition Man with my wife. She hadn't seen it before and she dug it. I dug it. But then the next day I was thinking about another Stallone futuristic movie. I described it to her like, honey, what if we watched another Stallone movie in which it's the future and he plays a super cop with really (laughs) harsh message methods. He's like judge, jury and executioner. uh, And he finds himself up against a, police slash government conspiracy that holds the entire fate of the world, you know, in the balance. And she's like, we just watched that movie. I'm like, no, there's another one. It came out <laughs> two years after this. <laughs> so that's a double synopsis. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked, we touched on it in Cobra. It feels like he's grooming himself over the years in these cop parts to play judge. Dredd. It's like, he's working up to, he, he's, honing his cop craft uh, for it yeah um man angelique you remember when you first saw demolition man i do i do very much because it was during the sandra bullock heyday Mm -hmm. she was really rising fast and then all of a sudden she's in this bizarre future cop movie (laughs) and you know I saw it in the theater when it came out and just remembering laughing because of the machines that give you a fine when you cuss and everything like that. And, the, and of course the three seashells, we all wanted to know what, how, why. <laughs> <laughs> I always looked at the three seashells as soap, rinse, dry uh you know so i always thought of more of like a scooping capacity yeah i and, and things that is you take two of the seashells and and kind of do that and then the other one you scrape up from the bottom but again <laughs> yeah but they look like they look like silver seashells yeah they are yeah. i don't know I don't know if they were like flexible, like real sea- seashells or not. I guess 
They need to make a sequel just to explain the sequel. <laughs> we need we need a short film done to explain the three seashells. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> um, Ian, do you remember when you first saw Demo Man? <clears throat> I yeah, no. I <laughs> I I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I rented it. Uh-huh. I saw it, this movie was all like, a big marketing blitz. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing ads for this in like every comic book in leading up to the summer of 1993 or whenever it came out um and just kind of wondering what that was about but um i didn't really get it when i watched it i was like yeah it's another sly stallone action movie but then i watched it for the first time i think all the way through the other night uh in the last you know almost 30 years and it's a lot of fun it's kind of bad but it's also the perfect movie to watch right now mm-hmm. because the parallels are off the chain. <laughs> you know, I I had that too watching this film this time around. I'm like this film is strangely prophetic in 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 many many ways. And what I found interesting with it is there's some political aspects they work into it, but if you look at the world because they never really specify is the whole world like this or just, you know, the 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 San you know, the 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 Metroplex, if it that's just like it, or if the whole world is like it. They kind of allude to it, but then not. You know, so you could never quite figure out if everybody's like this or just they are. Uh, but within that world, it's like a hybrid of everything extreme on the right. Mixed with everything extreme on the left. It's like they took both sides of the spectrum to take your extremists that you've heard talk over the last two years, whether they're left or right, being all kumbaya or law and order, you know, everybody needs to be clean cut or whatnot. And they mashed it together (laughs) to make this world to where you're going. Wow, this has got a lot of conservative, like extreme conservative approaches. But then you're like, Oh, wait, nobody says anything offensive to anyone. Everybody keeps it. Okay, that's kind of the extreme of the left. And then you're just sitting there going, this is pretty cool. <laughs> they, they, they actually are making a statement about both sides. If you just scratch beneath the, the sweaty uh, muscle surface <laughs> of the action film. Uh, I mean, Angelique, would you say that they're kind, they kind of did that with the society, though? Yeah, yeah, it's very, you know, on one hand, utopian, and on the other hand, it's, you know, high moral, almost, with Ogliarchy, mm-hmm. you know, um, and everything looks perfect, but it's not, because you can't live that way. Yeah. You can't. You know, if you want to be an authentic person, you're going to end up in the sewers eating rat burger. <laughs> yeah, and this is, you know, talking about sort of the parallels to, you know, the, what was going, what's going on in the culture. I mean, it's 1993. I don't know when the script was written, but you're talking about four years leading up to this film. You've got everything from. Uh, Piss Christ to Two Live Crew. You've got the moralization of Tipper Gore. So it's definitely the idea of uh, political correctness, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. run amok. So it was sort of imagining what the future would look like if this stuff was all taken to its logical conclusion. Um, 
yeah, we're, we're kind of in the same spot now. <laughs> Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating kind of result. And also, you know, if you look at the parallels to 2020 and 2021 in this future of 2032, nobody touches each other. Yep. It's all virtual sex. They don't, they can't shake hands. You've got the, you've got the head villain who isn't so much a politician. He's a scientist talking about social engineering and talking about how, you know, eventually no one's going to leave their house and they're going to be completely dependent on virtual relationships. And at when he said that there was a close up on his face and this entire time I was trying to think of who is this actor? Cause I feel like I've seen him and stuff before, but when he said that line about no one's going to leave their house, I'm like, it's not an actor. That's Anthony Fauci without glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but that's as far as I'm going to take that. It's it it is interesting. Yeah, looking at, at at how they do things, it seems less strange now than when we watched it in 93 because they're they're not clapping. You don't like you said, we get this scene and we're going to jump around folks. If you haven't watched this film from 93, you're you're missing out. Um but there's the scene where uh, uh, Sly Stallone's character uh, Spartan's been thought out to take on uh, Phoenix because Phoenix was thought out and somehow he's gotten more muscles. He's gotten matrixed. He's basically got the Neo effect to where he knows everything about this world, how to program shit, how to, how to fight in many, many different ways, everything. So they thought out, Mr. Uh, Spartan, because he's an actual violent cop that we need to take out a violent criminal, which there's another statement right there, uh, <laughs> because the soft, you know, the rent to cops basically is a whole f police force now. Um, and yeah, so they end up he ends up saving uh, saving uh, the uh, head guy's uh, life and they get invited to Taco Bell and they have a date night and then they go home. And, I, and the reason I'm rambling here, oh. I just want to set this up is they go over to, you know, uh, he go over to his partner's house, who is uh, played by Sandra Bullock, and uh, they decide to have sex. And she puts it in the most awkward way uh, uh, <laughs> possible. Uh, and, and she's like, oh, you know, uh, it's proper now. Would you like to have sex? And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was hilarious. He takes his jacket off. He's like, <laughs> with his breath. Huh? Fall out the rocket pop. <laughs> and, the rocket, and, and then it's my favorite scene because I've always, I've always been a Sandra Bullock fan. So I totally dig how she just handled this scene because she comes out in kind of a negligee type of thing, you know, uh, you know, and he's like, oh, all right. And she's got this case. She opens it. It's got the two helmets and she puts the helmet on him. And I love how she just hands him the towel and just goes, here you go. And it was just <laughs> pragmatic, you know, <laughs> but I mean, here's Sandra Bullock, kind of the, the wholesome, because she had that image for a while of the wholesome girl you know the lack of her the wholesome woman she got a lot of roles to where she was the girl next door wholesome type and she just hands him the towel here you go and I just the way she <laughs> says it it was hilarious and then they put the helmets on and i'm like this is 93 and i'm watching this going they're having cyber sex i'm like computers were just on the internet and that was just not right i'm like they knew what they were made for they <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, but I mean, you putting a helmet on and being virtual. I mean, we've got VR now, and they they're showing it here in this this early film, and it's like, well, it's also because it was wireless. I mean, yeah. it's not like they had it's not like they had these giant cables between them or something. I mean, this is and this is one of those kind of movies that always makes me think: Is it a chicken and the egg situation? Mm-hmm. Did the people who designed the tech that we're experiencing now? Were they big fans of Demolition Man? Like, I'm going to make a Demolition Man helmet. And then they spent like 25 years bringing it to life. Uh, what I thought was really fascinating about that was, uh, you know, you think of Sly Stallone, you know, the big macho guy, uh, given the opportunity to have at least virtual sex with Sandra Bullock. But he, he puts on this helmet and it's one, it's not only disturbing for him, it's disturbing as an audience because it's got this weird music. It's got these extreme close-ups of her kind of writhing in orgasm but these crazy like harsh red and green lights it's like a going back to the joker it's like this weird freak show that's going on and it's unclear if it's just that his brain was not uh compatible to the idea of what was going on maybe if he was in the mood or an understood was happening he would have seen you know more conducive imagery to sex but it's a disturbing moment in a film that i think a lot of people would think it doesn't deserve something that's that smart that uh, that 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 layer of like no we think of sylvester stallone and this archetype as being a dumb guy like yeah i'm just gonna get in there like do it but he's actually a guy with feelings and he respects his partner and he doesn't quite think this is natural because it's not so his brain is rejecting it that's some that's some really smart writing there Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of moments like that. If you actually kind of look past the action sequence, they're doing a lot of really interesting commentary and perspectives and, and approach with these characters that you're not diving so deep into them, but just the way they're presented, you you get stuff like that. Like, Because with the helmet, too, let's not forget, she put the helmet on as well, and she started ahead of him. She was already into it before he even figured out how to use the helmet. So we're not even talking about an interaction that is real time between your two partners. It's you put the helmet on and yes, I know we're focusing on this, but I just found this one scene really fascinating how they present it. Because if you think about what's going on, she put the helmet on and she's into it already. I mean, he's staring at her and she's just like, hmm. Mm, you know, and he's like, uh, you know, like we haven't even, st- you know, I don't even know how to work this thing. And he calls it. So made me think. So the helmet isn't interactive live. It's like a bot. It's like you put your helmet on. She puts her helmet on. It takes the image or the consciousness or whatever. It pictures the person with the other helmet on, puts it in your helmet and you can do whatever you want. And but it's not what you're doing in the helmet is not actually being done to the person on the other side of the bench right. or whatever. You know, it's it is a, it's an image of them, but you're not right. It's an image of them, but you're not having the same encounter, really. Right. Yeah, that, I didn't really thought about that. That's really cool. I, you know, and something to what you said, Mark, about this being initiated by her from the proposition down to getting the equipment out to putting it on him or like handing it to him. We talk a lot about, you know, the concept of the the female character as having agency or being a strong female character in in movies past. This is one of those uh, instances where I think it really 
stands out mm -hmm. because a lot of this futuristic PC culture is driven by men who do not have the instinct. It's not them driving the opposition to all of this. Uh, it's them kind of upholding this like, no, we can't touch each other. We can't swear all this other stuff. And you've got Sandra Bullock's character. Who's the gung ho. Like she, I don't, exactly know why she became a cop maybe she just watched <laughs> like 60 year old movies and like things used to be like this and they will be again but she's the one who wants to get into the action she's got a lethal weapon three poster up in her in her room so she she maintains her femininity but she also has this desire to get in the action and hold her own against real criminals and i think that's uh that's something that's kind of refreshing to see and i wish we saw more of that in you know modern movies <laughs> would you angelique would you agree with sandra bullock here because you don't picture sandra bullock in a really strong in all honesty a strong female role you know the the way she, some of the roles she's taken but she's a very strong character in this film she really is and i mean i i love her in the net mm -hmm. yeah that's one of my favorite movies mm -hmm. um and she you know, plays a badass. She's not necessarily physically strong, but she's a badass in, in her own right. Um, with Lanina, um, it's kind of a weird, like almost a coming of age superhero kind of deal. Mm -hmm. You know, she's got these fancy ideas and now she's confronted with this violence that she's kind of been, you know, almost idolizing in a way, watching all this old media, being obsessed with, you know, with guns and, you know, car chases and stuff. And then here it is like, oh, crap. <laughs> now I've got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, yeah, I think she does a great job in, in, in coming to terms with it, both, you know, as a complete culture shock as well as just being a, a female character. Mm-hmm. And and you're right though that she does still get the reality check, especially when you get this scene with the the cyber helmets, uh, the cerebro sex um, that she have here, uh, because you know he's just like, oh, why don't we just do it the old fashioned way? And she's immediately like, ew. <laughs> she's like, and then she. What I like though is it wasn't just they could have easily played it off as just her going ew bodily fluids. But she has a reason behind it. She plays it off going, after the AIDS came this, after this came this. It was proven that bodily fluid exchange causes these things to possibly happen. I mean, she, she's got justification behind it. And the thing is, she's got some logic to where you're like, you know. <laughs> yep. Well, but and, and here's something that draws another kind of uncomfortable parallel to 2021, which is if you look at the 2032 culture in this fictional world, the she is able to recite these things yeah. almost as if it's doctrine that she's been brought up in. What right. we're seeing now is the concept of in 2021, something that was inconceivable in 2019, which is from now on, people are probably going to be wearing masks in some capacity. This is the new normal, mm -hmm. which is something that is weird and kind of alien to our human experience but given enough time it could be something where in you know 20 years people are like why would anyone shake hands kissing i don't know you like what <laughs> that kind of a, it, it might be a stretch but it's another interesting parallel to think about like how these ideas kind of grow over time to the point where people in the future just don't even think about it They're like oh yeah this is this is all this all came from aids <laughs> yeah 
Well, I mean, and, and then you let's scratch the surface even more and look at the choice of music because we get the scene with the wonderful scene, which uh, Wesley Snipes gets all the one-liners in this. I mean, Sly gets some, but all the one-liners that Cobra had, Wesley has that many with his Phoenix character. The guy is just, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Phoenix a little bit. Cause I just, I loved him. Um, but you get that scene to where they've got uh, Spartan in there and Lavinia and her partner, they're, they've got the radio on. Oh, let's play some classics that you know. <laughs> and there are many tunes that are ads. They're basically commercial jingles they listen to. And these people, they're singing. And you're like, wow, how could they be in on it? But if you look at the age of these two characters, they've been raised in this town on this. This society, like you said, Ian, this is the norm. When they started getting to the probably their influential age, and I know we're thinking beyond the movie here, but I think that's what they want with this film is you look at it going, when they were young, this was probably becoming the norm. So by the time they get to their 20s, they love those cute jingles, you know, those ads, because that's all they've known. Um, well, it's also possibly, and I, I just want to yeah. cor- clarify something earlier. I am not an anti-masker. <laughs> no, you're, just, not, you're making a statement. Like, oh, there's yeah. these. Right. I'm just looking at the the kind of the logic of the movie as a parallel to to what is going on with today. Right. But um, no, I mean, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about this until you were talking about it, Mark. But, uh, you know, what would cause someone to or a, a culture to embrace commercial jingles over music? Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, is because if you're going to plant this idea that kissing is bad holding hands and having sex, what is music? You know, love songs, they have to go out the window to the point where it's like, yeah, just sing about green beans. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Sexy, sexy green beans. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't think too hard about the jolly green giant and you'll be okay. (laughs) Angelique, do you want a moment to, to, for Jolly? You good? good? Okay. Okay. I've got an extra helmet and some seashells. Uh, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> she, Angelique's there putting the helmet on herself, then putting her hand on a can of peas. The helmets. Yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> please, please, let's move on. But, well, no, but they also don't dig into it too much, but you realize. And that's what I liked about uh, what I love about this film, especially watching again. I realized I watched this a lot of times when I was younger um, is they don't go heavy into the explanation, but they drop a lot of these historical bits that if you sat there and you could focus on it, you can draw some logical conclusions. They talk about the big one of 2010, the big earthquake, which while it may have affected California because there was always the talk of San Andreas and the line, eventually California separating and whatnot, you know, you had escape from LA and all that. But as they reference the big one of 2010, it makes you wonder if it impacted not only the California area, but the rest of the world or the, at least the U S to where you don't have like apocalypse going on, but, you've got more pockets of things that maybe had developed the more metroplexes put walls around themselves and are their own 
subculture of sorts because here in this metroplex he's not the president of the world but he's developed a very large community over the last 40 years of people grown up on jingles in that they're not getting music from the outside world they're getting music from these jingles so you're like well, what's going on in the rest of the world did the big one of 2010 kind of change the landscape of the world <laughs> i mean maybe i'm thinking too far but i'm like sitting here going Maybe that's why you've got this whole culture. And he used the 2010 quake and the disarray to create the new culture. I, you know, there might be something to that. And and something my wife and I were asking each other frequently throughout the movie, like to your point, Mark, how, how, what, what is the, the map, the narrative map of this movie? Mm-hmm. Is it just Los Angeles? Is the rest of the world like this? There's a line that I think was, I feel was kind of sloppy for a movie that's generally really smart, which is, uh, you know, later on in the film, Simon Phoenix decides to, or gets clearance to thaw out a bunch of other criminals to, mm-hmm. to help take down John Spartan, kind of turn the tables. And I think, it was the him or, or maybe it was Spartan was in the cryo chamber is like, Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer that, you know, oh, yeah, that yeah. guy's crazy. I'm like, Jeffrey Dahmer wouldn't be in a Los Angeles cryo. <laughs> prison. He was from Wisconsin. Um, I don't think he was captured anywhere near there. No. So, but it's just like one of those things where you do wonder, well, maybe things have gotten that bad where they had to <laughs> ship all their prisoners from Wisconsin to Los Angeles. Cause everything else is destroyed in this earthquake. Maybe the earthquake did some damage to LA, but it really messed up the rest of America. So this yeah. is kind of the, the culture. So yeah, what I love, I, I love about this movie is it is simultaneously everything you want in a big, dumb action movie. You, it, you could take a shot every time you see Sly Stallone running in slow motion with that <laughs> face with an explosion behind him. It's like it's like McBain from The Simpsons, but then also you get this really kind of smart sci-fi dystopia stuff going on in the background, like very little, almost like the Mad Magazine details and the, the, the margins that you could think about for hours. It's, mm. it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, because you've got the museum where they've got the Hall of Violence and they've got a glass area over an actual street of L.A. before the big quake. And, of course, the fight between Spartan and Phoenix is taken here because this is the only place they have guns, which, again, we're making another statement here. It's it. This is you're right, Ian. I. I really think some of this is here is on purpose. It's not just in there for comedic. They're making some statements. Only place you've got it guns is in the museum now in this nonviolent world. So that's of course where Phoenix goes to arm up and Spartan is there. And of course their battle immediately takes them through the floor onto the old school LA streets to fight. <laughs> and I just liked that little bit to where you knew it was coming and they take the fight down there. And I, I loved that bit of the old school fighting on the old turf. And and it's it is interesting because yeah, the people who are living underground who are led by Dennis Leary, and it turns out that he is the uh, that's a that's a great little narrative point. Uh, the whole reason Simon Phoenix was resurrected by the head scientist guy was because he's the only one who could really be smart enough and bloodthirsty enough to eliminate the competition 
to this you know new world order uh but i like that the underground dwellers yeah they're scrapping for food they're you know doing these little graffiti kind of rebellion runs but they're generally happy with the freedom that they have the people above ground are happy but it's this sort of they don't know anything else and everything that's supposed to be fun they're told is bad uh so yeah i, I like that little that little clash of of cultures there um the, the you know stallone i think we've talked about him as an action star um but i don't think he gets enough credit for his comedic chops uh, a couple of years before this, he was in a really fantastic com- just straight comedy called Oscar. Mm. And I think you get to see a little bit of that in here. Like when he, they're underground, he has the rat burger. And he realizes <laughs> what he's eating. And he just keeps eating it anyway because it's kind of like the only game in town. It's a fun, you know, lighthearted moment. He's got he's he's good. Well, he pauses while he's chewing. He's like, it's a rat burger. <laughs> and he, he gives it some thought and he chews a few times. He's like, hmm. This is a big yeah. bur- this is about the best burger I've had for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What'd you think about the comedy of this uh, Angelique? Did you like it? Did you like a uh, slice yeah. of one? It's cute and it's I you know me, I love puns and I like elevated humor as much as I like, you know, three suitors type humor. And you know, a lot of the humor comes from just the sheer what the crap is happening, like Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. That dinner is just, it blows my mind every time. And I can't help but laugh because, you know, it's like a Hollywood opening. There's red carpet, there's strobes and, and, you know, big lights and everybody's all dressed up and formal. And, you know, I'm like John Spartan. I'm like, we're at Taco Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Give me an Enchirito. And then they set this delicate, beautiful plate of tiny, perfect food and the foodie in me is like oh my god yeah i want that give me that but then i'm like but i still want my taco bell (laughs) (laughs) a couple a couple of things about that is you're right when they showed that plate i just immediately thought someone in the art department was tasked with like coming up with a really artsy fartsy taco bell presentation and they made it look good like i would go someplace to eat that (laughs) yeah but the other thing is it's Taco Bell and they're constantly ragging on you can't have salt. You can't have like unhealthy food or alcohol or cigarettes. Like, so what the hell is in this Taco Bell of the future? When did well, it become health yeah, food? That's another real correlation to now because Taco Bell has one of the healthiest menus mm-hmm. for a fast food restaurant. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They did a study. And got the protein bowls. They've got the um what was it, the baja fresh yep. menu mm-hmm. it was called and it's all you know pretty much just clean food yeah el fresco menu to where instead of uh cheese and sour cream in that you they would put uh low fat salsa which is just tomatoes mm-hmm. and and uh whatnot on it so you could do that huh pico de gallo yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but you can still and I hope this is true, my beloved Taco Bell, that you can still go and just get a D-meat taco. Like, Well, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, that's still there. God, they haven't no. completely sold out. <laughs> Even then, Taco Bell, in, in comparison, I mean, their actual, like, you know, taco burrito food, in comparison to, say, a Big Mac, a double quarter pounder, a large beef and cheddar, 
is still it, it's not good for you, but it's better. Ca- calorie wise, it's lower than your. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, and a simple bacon cheeseburger is like four hundred some odd calories. And you look at what the calories are for, you know, like a regular taco, not like a bean burrito, but if you just get a basic taco or a few of them, like three of them equal like a, a bacon cheeseburger almost in some ways. You know, if you get the, I bean think part burger. of that. Yeah, well, I think part of that is like when I get the taco, and I haven't eaten there in a little while, but there's kind of that disappointment followed by guilt, followed by relief <laughs> disappointment. And that you bite into it. I'm like, this thing is mostly vegetables. There's like a little lining of quote unquote meat at the bottom. Uh, but then you're like, but I shouldn't be eating this in the first place. So I guess it's kind of good that I'm mostly eating my vegetables. <laughs> you know? It's real lettuce. It's real tomatoes. It's not just, you know, ketchup and, you know, special sauce. But what I love about it too, is the minimalistic, uh, not to turn this into a foodie conversation, but the minimalistic of, of the nachos, I, I guess those would be nachos on the plate that they present. Spartan is so thin and sparse when, Taco Bell's usually associated with excess, like, you know, especially in 93, you had in 93, you had the 59, 79 and 89 cent menu or whatever it was, 69, 70, to where you could buy a massive amount of, I know I was in college, trust me, 2.30, yeah. 2.30 in the morning, you take five bucks, you got yourself full. I mean, you had, you had, you could feed you and your buddies on five bucks. I mean, you know. I used to go and we would we would go late at night right before Coast to Coast AM came on. Mm-hmm. Go get like 10 beef um, beef and bean burritos and we would just drive around just <laughs> eating these burritos our hearts in listening to George Nori. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you know, you, but I mean, so when this came out in 93, Taco Bell was known of excess. I mean, it was the some of the cheapest menu items you had. And so for them to make Taco Bell the one, winner of the fast food battles, <laughs> the fast food war, and everything's Taco Bell now, I thought was a great commentary, especially for back then. But even now, yeah, we're seeing it to where Taco Bell actually does have the best menu yeah you know well it but it's the prices have gone up i I remember the last yeah i was in taco the first time we went to taco bell during the pandemic we hadn't been there in a while but it was open so i was like yeah i got a craving and i walked out for me and the family and yes i fed this stuff to my kids please don't call child services are you kidding Uh, mad props to you man <laughs> but uh, I came home and I looked at the receipt. I'm like thirty two dollars. This should be like five and a half bucks max to feed four people. That that's <laughs> still cheaper than McDonald's though, because their oh, yeah. value menus are up in price a lot more than what they used to be too. So I mean, for a family of four, we've got a family of four, and yeah, it's 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 pricey now to go to McDonald's too. It's no more ex- less expensive than going to Culver's anymore, really. You well, know? And, and it's kind of a good thing. I mean, because you've got the McMortgage menu and yeah. it's sort of like, I could do that or I could just stay home and make myself a sandwich for right. an 18th of the cost. And you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's going to take 20 minutes to make up a burger, but that's also 20 minutes to be getting in the car, driving down and being in a drive through and getting back home. But just think now in 3032, you're going to have to go to high class 
you know, you're going to, you might not be in the right tax bracket for Taco Bell anymore. So just prepare yourself for that. You know, uh, I like to think that in 2032, it's, they still have the 59, 79, 99 cent menu in that upscale location. Yeah. <laughs> what I, what I loved about uh, that, ta- the whole Taco Bell thing too, was they use this scene where, okay, the joke and the gimmick is Taco Bell, but they then use it to explore the fact of, again, making this sub, there's a lot of subtext in this film, making commentary about what they've taught the public of how incarceration is versus what incarceration actually was. And Angelique, did you catch that in here? I mean, it's it's almost like they're making a commentary about incarceration as well public view versus what reality is a bit i mean you know especially the the memories that start surfacing Mm -hmm. um you know yes they're taught these skills and and whatever they're potentially rehabilitated but there's still the consciousness i'm locked up and you know in, in spartan's case what his wife comes right before she dies or something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sad. Yeah, and he's he's talking about his experience being frozen and then you've got, you know, you've got uh uh Lavinia there going, wait, I thought they weren't supposed to remember anything. And the guy's like, well no, they don't. And Spartan's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> he's like, I was there. <laughs> you know, he's like I, well, yeah, because I think he said I've been dreaming about Phoenix or something yeah. for thirty trapped in a thirty six year nightmare. I mean, my God! Mm-hmm. But it also gets into the question of was there any kind of a waiver that these guys? I, I mean, they're prisoners, so they have very limited rights anyway. But right. you know, what can they? That that whole thing about implanting memories and skills sounds great on the surface because they come out with some kind of a trade, but they. <clears throat> It's a surprise to them. They they're like, I never signed on to this. Yeah. Why am I? Why can I? Why can I knit now? <laughs> Which was a great gimmick because, again, that goes along with Sly Stallone's um, uh, comedic timing because he's watching this tape of. There's a recording at one point when Phoenix escapes museum. He confronts. Uh, cocktail, which is a great name. Uh, the 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 guy, the leader, the mayor, or whatever, the leader of this whole metroplex, who's created the society, and he can't shoot him. It's a it's a RoboCop moment. Don't tell me yeah. they didn't borrow from RoboCop. <laughs> it's a, a prime directive. It's directive four. They literally implanted that on Phoenix, so he can't shoot the head guy. So you get that moment, but you've got Slice, huh? what? It's a reverse Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> but what's great is a sly uh, Spartan's got this container of, of his effects and he's got his beret, which he had in 96. And then there's a ball that's a behavioral training or I forgot what it was called conditioning. And he starts doing the knitting thing while watching it. Like subconsciously he's doing it. You know, and they don't really draw a huge amount of attention to it, and he does it so natural, but it's hilarious because he he pulls out the needles, you know, and he's watching the footage, and yeah, that's where he sees that Cocteau's in on it and everything, and and the big reveal, and then he we find out the next day he knitted he knitted Lavinia a, a sweater. 
and talks about how do I know Bob and Hook? And, and you know, that's where we learned that uh, someone was uh, doing the Neo. Yes, this is six years before the Matrix. And they talk about someone getting implanted skills into their brain. <laughs> Had to be wow. influenced there. Very matrixy. What happened to Phoenix with what Cocteau did to him by putting in martial arts skills? I know kung fu. You know, literally did that to the Phoenix character. Um, you, you know, and they implant uh, knitting in Spartan's head. Uh, but so you got a little matrix going on there. Uh, but Phoenix, I love Phoenix. Oh my, this is you know for people who complained about, and I didn't have a problem with him, but Jared Leto's Joker. Phoenix is really what the Joker should have been because was it me, Angelique, or did he exude a lot of Joker-esque type qualities to him? Oh, yeah. He was constantly just in the middle of all this violent, terrible crap. He's just clowning. You know, he's throwing out one-liners faster than he can punch (laughs) and just observant, quick, witty. Absolutely. He's the Joker. <laughs> Ian, did you get that impression as well? Did you feel very Joker-like? I did. And, you know, it's it's a very interesting take on on that kind of a character because mm-hmm. there's that scene. It's, it goes on for a long time, especially for a movie like this. When he first gets out uh, of the maximum security prison and out into the street, he goes to this terminal. He starts accessing essentially the internet to look stuff up. Uh, and he's kind of a, a whiz kid. And I like that he's, you can see the Simon Phoenix personality sort of clashing with all of this knowledge that's been implanted with him. His fingers are dancing over the keyboard. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but I, <laughs> but I like this. And he's still cracking wise and there's cops showing up and he's kind of annoyed by them. He'll like, you know, shoot at him or something and then go back to his, his duty. And then he kicks all sorts of ass. So yeah, it's sort of the perfect, you know, one thing that was missing from Jack Nicholson's performance, at least up until the end, of the 89 Batman was a real physicality. He was all brains, whereas Simon Phoenix has brains and, you know, the brawn. I, I don't know where he learned Kung Fu on this, the hard streets of LA, but, you know, that was the far-flung future of 1996, so maybe things were different. Well, he had that uh, implanted in him as well, so because he was... He was still... He was still he, he was, was still, still a fighter, though. He was, yeah. Yeah, in, the, in that opening, you know, mm-hmm. scene, and he was also very resourceful with the whole uh cigarette and and you know gasoline on the floor and I, th- I thought that was fun of you know slide jumping across and them fighting on the table to avoid the <laughs> everything was on fire i just i love this movie i the the, the further i get away from it you know it's been a couple of days since i've watched and i'm like i, w- I want to watch this again <laughs> totally it's one of those i find myself thinking about it like i i don't own it you know, every time I've watched it recently, I've just rented it, you know, from from Amazon. But I'll just be sitting around and be like, you know what? I really just want to watch Demolition Man. <laughs> it, just, it comes in and it's an urge and, and uh, maybe somebody has a helmet on somewhere and it's just tapping in. <laughs> you know, I think part of the appeal is because of the charisma of both Sly Stallone and Wesley Snipes. Uh, Wesley Snipes at this time was was I mean he was you know really well established and this was actually though seeing him in the muscle bound beefy role that he was 
for most of this film after he gets thawed was something unusual you didn't see. He still played a badass in his other roles, but you didn't really see him as this kung fu action toe to toe type of fighter in the roles that he had taken in a lot of the you know in a lot of the roles that he had taken at this time. So I remember seeing him and it's going, damn, <laughs> you know. I mean, it just took Wesley to another level, but. I think what it what works with it and where it gets it right, where many action films, especially during the 90s, get it wrong uh, up until 89 when Die Hard changed the playing field was you have two uh, characters that are equals in their own right. You don't have like major super guy Sly Stallone and kind of one note villain like we had in Cobra, which wasn't bad, but still he was pretty much a one note, you know, uh, I, I can smell your fear, whatever, you know, whatever, he said. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas here you have this more cat and mouse level playing field between your two, uh, bad, your bad guy, good guy dynamic, which I think helps make this film a lot better because it's one of those two where you want to see these two go head to head because it's fun because they're equals in their own right. Yeah. I think, um, Oh, froze there. Mark, are you oh, still yeah, there? I'm still here. Oh, okay. yeah. right, cool. Um, I think that what, uh, the setting of this movie also helps out because mm -hmm. I know this is five years before Wesley Snipes was in blade, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but, one of the things that makes Simon Phoenix much more dangerous in 2032 is the fact that there's no resistance mm -hmm. to him. I mean, there's a police force, but they can't really do anything. So you take a guy who was, yeah, he was a, a super criminal back in 96, but he's, yeah, he's basically a, a mutant. <laughs> he's got mutant powers now uh, because there's no one really to oppose him until they thaw out the one guy that could take him down. Right. And even then he's like, well, what if I got a, a whole gang? of my friends uh, thought out and they've got these real killer instincts. I, I love that Jesse Ventura, I don't even know if he had a speaking part, no. but <laughs> he just kind of showed up, which is weird because you think of Jesse Ventura now, like he was a major, well, I guess shortly there, you know, after he had a big career and he was like the governor of Minnesota and all this other stuff. So to see him in a role where he is just like, you know, hanger on thug number two kind of like he was in in the running man it's like just kind of strange to see even i mean he had more presence in uh in predator <laughs> well everybody that whole cast had presence in predator let's face it that group that that, that i want to go into a battle with those guys <laughs> oh man. but yeah well and, and there was another thing, too, is, uh, Angelique, tell me it didn't run across your brain even when you first saw it when they said, oh, you know, Phoenix can't kill him, so Phoenix wants his buddies thawed. And then you're like, well, wait, can his buddies kill him? And sure enough, you get the next scene to where he Jesse Ventura is the one that pulls the trigger. He's like, will you kill him for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and then Cocteau was like, oh, shit, I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's, yeah, that speaks to, you know, I don't know if it's the, the subtext and my wife and I were kind of talking about this because she was like, well, why, why didn't he think of that? And I was like, well, you know, if you want to 
take it to like a, a racial issue. He might have thought that he was just thawing out some, you know, dumb criminal who was just kind of, you know, ruthless, but didn't have that kind of mastermind capability to come up. He like he didn't think he was smart enough to come up with something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh because he was this elitist, you know, the, the doctor was this elitist kind of dude who was used to politics and not, you know, <laughs> street politics. Let, let us say, though, that the guys he thought out, I know he wanted to pick those that weren't going to be as maniac as him. They got taken out by the scraps because we never really see those guys too much. We see them in the beginning when they ambush, you know, uh, uh, friendly and they ambush Spartan in the in the sewers there but you don't really see them afterwards it's still it's still the the phoenix spartan fight show going on um so you're like what happened and then the scraps guys show up later you're like oh you kicked those guys ass okay <laughs> or you, they, just, they could have just given them directions to taco bell or that there could have been that too <laughs> yeah but go, you're check right. that, go check that out we'll take care of john spartan trust us <laughs> i i and that's one thing that's in in this too. That uh, if you you're just playing it off as a dumb action film, fine. But if you pay attention, there's also the statement of class. You've got got the scraps, like we mentioned. We've got the upper class, which everybody above ground in the utopian society have nice apartments. They've got nice cars, which, by the way, the cars are self driving, which we have today, and the way they operate are almost exactly the way they are today. Let's. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Angelique. I said it's a prophecy. <laughs> it is, but what I what I love, and it took brain a second to rewire when she said, "You know, activate self drive mode." That's not the way that we think of self driving cars. We think of cars driving themselves. She was talking about, "I want myself to be able to take the controls over, so it's not remote." Yeah, it, it's a little reverse. I mean, they still yeah. have it, but yeah, it's so the standard is it not driving, and then you pull it out versus now where you drive it, but then you want it to self drive. So yeah, it's a little reverse, but still more prophecy, more prophecy. But Angelique, just wait till people start <laughs> using the helmet in those cars too. But Angelique, we had that uh, class statement here because you got the scraps in the upper high class, basically above and the Morlocks and the, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In a way. But you also have uh, Cocteau underestimating the criminals with Phoenix. Would you say there's also a statement there? It's not just class of like higher or lower class, but he's underestimating what he considers a dumb criminal money and power don't make you smart Mm -hmm. and we saw that play out (laughs) hard uh, a couple weeks ago (laughs) and that's just it right there that's the classic thing you know yeah i can be as as selfish and you know yes i have the means to make this happen but somebody smarter than me is going to take me out Mm mm-hmm and yeah. and it's it's the hubris, just yes. like Shakespeare, very Shakespearean in a way. The the hubris of uh, the villain here, <laughs> the main Cocteau, was his own doing because he thought he was so arrogant that he knew how all this was going to play out, and that he had all his puppets on the string, and he miss he he was so arrogant he was blind to the fact that no, you made a very smart criminal who's gonna who who are yeah who was already smart. But now you've 
amplified that and you didn't think he would figure out a way around whatever safeguards you came up with you know that that arrogance is what kills it <laughs> and it, the action sequences i, I guess uh we'll, we'll just uh, talk about them tonight i so love many it. sparks huh <laughs> so <laughs> many sparks sparks and fire didn't even need a factory this time <laughs> 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 in action set pieces in here i mean you get everything you want this was meant to be a tentpole film as you said we got all our product placement it was hugely hyped you had two big names in it this was back when you didn't have a tentpole movie every week a tentpole movie was a tentpole this was it and what do you think about the action scenes do they pay off oh yeah i mean i <laughs> i love you know, talking about, you know, Wesley Snipes, we haven't really talked about that uh, bleach, that orange canary, you know, hair sculpted fro he's got. When he gets turned into liquid nitrogen uh, at the end or kind of crystallized, his hair, he turns completely snow white except for the hair. Whatever he put in there was just, <laughs> you know, amazing product. Uh, but it got me thinking, yeah, it's kind of a ripoff of Terminator 2, which came out a couple of years before that. But I swear, Bat Joel Schumacher and whoever wrote Batman and Robin ripped that off with the whole Mr. Freeze angle with everything kind of turning into to ice gradually with that freeze gun. It's a beautiful image and also just, you know, a cool way to, to take out a villain and, you know, the head Stipes gets decapitated and then his head falls and shatters into a billion pieces. Um, so yeah, a plus on the action, but I'm happy to say for all the reasons we've been talking about here tonight, the action scenes are the least interesting part <laughs> of demolition Man. they're still well done, but it's not the reason to watch this movie. Yeah. They're exciting, but Angelique, would you agree? I totally agree. And and they just, they kind of drag out as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're very just lengthy, and I don't know if that's so much to show the real differences between thought-out Phoenix versus thought-out Spartan, or to try and rekindle the old rivalry, but, you know, I preferred the talking, I preferred the the, the scraps and, and all that interaction versus the gunfights and everything. Or, or you get the interaction with the gunfights that the fight scene in the museum is one of my favorites, the dialogue they're shooting back and forth at each other as they're shooting it. And they're still adapting to this new world. They're both in, but they're surrounded by at least familiar things, the guns, <laughs> you know, that, you know, I like that, you know, what you were describing there, but I couldn't turn my brain off during that. And partially because this is a movie that invites you to leave your brain on. And I'm thinking, I get it. It's a museum. They've got a weapons section, but there are museums, you know, around here that have antique guns and not so much antique guns. I don't think they have live ammo in those guns <laughs> or sitting around like the laser, the, the laser gun that Phoenix Phoenix grabs. That's kind of futuristic. I don't think they would have left a charged battery in this gun. You know, maybe again, maybe it's hubris. Maybe they're like, well, violence isn't a thing anymore, so why not? But it's just really dumb. It, it is dumb, but it is the hubris because that's what you pick up through this whole society because no one conceives the idea. Of, they said what? That no one had been killed purposely like for like 12 or 15 years. 
since since you know phoenix killed someone i think it was like that you know just after so you've got a society that has built up enough now to where yeah they just don't think of it because no one wants to grab a gun why do it yeah yeah okay you've you've turned me around it's no longer dumb it's it's kind of genius <laughs> it, you know they don't think of it as a danger because everybody in their society wouldn't think uh, conceive of that so they've hit a level in their culture to where it's safe to put out the knives and weapons because they are confident or arrogant enough that we've trained all these people that no one's just going to pick these up and you know stab someone or or shoot someone they just you know uh and so they f- don't feel a problem with that being out there because yeah why not you know no one's i mean they don't freaking do ha- high fives for crying out loud so yeah <laughs> <laughs> they've got a booth we failed the the tra- huh that's the real tragedy <laughs> <laughs> we we've got a booth to where a gentleman this is the one that uh, uh phoenix hacks into the early before he gets there, it's a generally a smiley booth to where he's, you know, <laughs> I'm good enough and smart enough and people like me. They've got this <laughs> depressed guy who's just like, you know, I'm not feeling really happy or whatnot. And the booth is telling him, you're wonderful. You're great. You got this. And, and it was like... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another great point because I think that's the only real instance we see in this movie of someone not buying into the utopia mm-hmm. unless they were an underground dweller you've got someone on the surface who's feeling depressed why would that be the case if everything's <laughs> kind of perfect damn it um <laughs> one thing we, we joked last week about uh Cobretti being the long lost uh you know relative of possibly john spartan or judge dread i think there's another connection in there i don't remember his name but stallone's character in the expendables also wore a beret. He was essentially yes. wearing the entire John Spartan outfit, except he did, you know, he had a goatee. Right. So what if it went from Cobretti to the expendables guy, because you're going from the lone wolf cop on the zombie squad to this mercenary, like a you know, ex military who's leading a paramilitary team to a guy who's a commander in the future military. And then it ends up in judge dread. You don't, know, we've got you a got, whole. Yeah. We've got Sly Stallone's family of blue or whatever it is, the, 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 <laughs> whatever you go to. Uh, and then you take it to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Remember, he showed up in part two. Shows up in part two as one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Absolutely. <laughs> we we I, I'm rolling with this. I got to draw a map of that. We're 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 throwing together Sly Stallone's family action character family tree going on here. <laughs> the problem is it's scary because it could work if you just stretch just a little bit but <laughs> oh yeah but yeah uh demolition man um we'll wrap it up here this is just a fun movie i think you all said it uh your final thought with demolition man does it hold up today yet and and would you recommend it so ian we'll go with you first Oh yeah, it, it it holds up today almost t- too well. Um, <laughs> this if if you watch if you're kind of depressed in the pandemic and you're like, I want to have a nostalgic bit of escapism. Don't watch Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> nostalgic yes but this is practically confrontism uh but yeah it's it's great it's a lot of fun and it's fun in a way that's not just like i'm gonna put on a cheesy action movie with stallone in it there are others but that's again that's not this movie because it's very smart mm-hmm. angelique how about you i couldn't have said it better you know mm-hmm. there like i mentioned earlier i think about this movie like it'll just pop into my head and i'll just have to to watch it every so often you know it's it's very intelligent for what it is, you know, on the surface, you think it's just, you know, a, a popcorn action flick with two big name stars, but it ends up being a whole lot more than that. Um, yeah. And, and like, like Ian said, if you're feeling kind of, you know, rough about the whole pandemic situation and the political stuff, not a good choice. Watch Cobra. <laughs> Watch Cobra. Watch Cobra. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Watch Cobra. Watch, watch if Cobra. <laughs> if you're okay and you're in a decent place and you want just a, a little more of an elevated action flick, Demolition Man's where it's at. Yep, and you all said it great. I mean, I, it's fun. I have watched this film many times. I got it on Laserdisc. I watched the Laserdisc. That was fun <laughs> to, to to watch it on that. Um, is there is there like a commentary or anything on that? No, or it's extra ju- features. It's, it's just, just that one's just got the movie on it mm. um there's there are, i'm probably gonna i think the i think the blu-ray is like seven bucks i'm probably gonna order it soon uh but it'd just be nice if there was some extra stuff on it because i can't get enough of this well, movie and i'm glad you brought up brought that up quick because if it will hold up in blu-ray and hd transfer because most of the practical effects except the last one which had your cheesy 90s building explosion photoshop uh outside of that last shot in here most of the effects are all practical explosions, all practical. I mean, except the opening shot, but even there with the burning Hollywood building f- signing at, it looked good. But yeah. 95, 98% of the effects in here, they've got on actual screens and they've got stuff they're interacting with and the production design, it holds up. The special effects hold up really well in this sci-fi movie from 93. Um so yeah, I I I love this film too. There for all the reasons you guys said. It just it's one of those that it, it's a it's more engaging than you might expect from a film called Demolition Man. It it really <laughs> it really is. It, it it's one some action movies you can put on in kind of the background and you can tool or whatever. Browse you got it off to the side. You're like oh you're watching Demolition Man is one you watch because you you've got it just fires along. It's edited well. It's you know, the audio is great. Music is fun, too. It's just, it's one of those films where I think it should probably be talked about more than it does. Because th- th- this is what you want out of your action popcorn film. This is, I wish they would make action films like this <laughs> a little more, you know, to where you you don't get browbeaten but at the same time you can see themes and stuff they're making commentary on without slapping you right in the face going look at what we're doing look at what we're (laughs) saying but at the same time you're like oh hey it doesn't take much to just think just a little bit further to what they're talking about and then you're just going to be sitting there like we just did and thinking about taco bell and how that became to be and and what happened to the rest of the world and and you want more of this world and that's where i think this film is a success is that you you are 
engaged, you're involved, you you are interested in more than just this guy fighting this guy. Is is I want more of this world. And Otho shows up. So a, a relative of Otho shows up who who survives the whole film. He he goes through three bosses. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I, I loved i love was it uh uh what was his name something bob um uh associate bob played by glenn yeah. glenn shaddix he was a great minor character he just this running gimmick of the 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 secondhand guy who the the minion who manages to weasel his way through the entire film even up to edgar friendly and becoming buddy buddy with him and his servant <laughs> by the end well and they yeah they and they didn't kill him i think no. that guy not he would not have if they were to remake demolition man there's no way bob would be alive at the end of the movie no no and i love associate bob i love the actor but i i, I love the fact he's even sporting some of the ultra look i'm like that had yeah. to be <laughs> almost intentional he's he's playing the otho angle uh and the girl sitting the, the woman sitting next to him at taco bell almost looked like uh the one woman from beetlejuice for crying out loud you know the the oh the, Catherine it, o'hara yeah well no not Catherine o'hara the the one of the side characters were like i hope it wasn't another one of your suicide attempts you know the the skinnier goth oh, the Asian oh. yeah she looked a little well, bit like reminded me her of a bit and i'm like I'm getting Beetlejuice vibes for <laughs> around Taco Bell table. But yeah, so there you go, folks. Demolition Man fitting for I Am The Law month, I think. Uh, definitely needs to be watched if you're looking for, yeah. Just just don't go in there if you're in a political headspace of some sort or whatnot, because there is a lot more <laughs> prophecy in this 93 film than you would have expected when you watched it back in 93 so <laughs> so there you have it folks and now as always this is the place where i give my license to shill to my uh wonderful crew members so angelique the license to shill is yours go ahead um just check out monstersmadnessandmagic.com um go through the different sections check out the podcast you can find us on facebook and instagram at monsters monsters madness and magic well <laughs> got tongue-tied there <laughs> we've got some exciting shows coming up so she, she yeah. was she was just thinking of uh, uh sly stallone in that thawing out scene is all yeah i mean hey <laughs> he was, he was well put together <laughs> a very impressive specimen yes uh, all all muscle in that scene it's just like yeah. <laughs> i i wouldn't blame you one bit <laughs> Ian, uh, floor is yours, sir. License to shill. Well, thank you. Um, well, I'm here every Tuesday uh, <laughs> and loving it. Um, and I'm also the proprietor of uh, Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. Um, also, uh, I have a YouTube channel, the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel, where uh, every Friday uh, we're doing a WandaVision recap, which is uh, a, a roundtable of uh, talking about the Disney Plus series WandaVision. And Mark has been gracious enough to, to hang out with us uh, there in the chat and, and offer theories. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a really good time. So, yeah, you can join us live 8.30 Central on uh, Fridays for as long as the show goes. And from what I think I saw in the, the Super Bowl trailer, 
that's probably going to roll right into that Captain um, uh, or Winter Soldier and Falcon show that they have coming out in, I think, March. Oh, my God. So, I, yeah. I, I, it's a buddy cop movie uh, show between Soldier and, and Falcon. And I can't I, I, I figured it was going to be OK because I liked the chemistry between Sebastian and uh, who plays Falcon again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Anthony Mackie. Mackie. Thank you. Uh, Anthony Mackie. I love Anthony Mackie anyway, but I always loved the, just the short moments we got between them. Like when they were in the car talking about him. <laughs> so that's the granddaughter of the girl. <laughs> he, he's going to kiss her. You know, will you move your seat up? No. I mean, they had that wonderful banter and to have a show like that to where it looks like they're going to play off that and be a buddy cop TV show. But with superheroes, I'm all for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Oh, one sorry, one thing before I go, I forgot to bring this up. In Demolition Man, yeah, Slice Stallone's character—he had a wife, but he also had a daughter mm-hmm. who I thought she was still alive, living in San Angeles, and he just never quite picked up the phone to look her up. My wife was really concerned throughout the entire film that it was going. Now she hadn't seen this movie before. She thought it was going to be Sandra Bullock. Oh, was going the daughter. Oh, that would have been so cool. That, that would have been before or after the helmet. Would have that been so? Cool? You're right. Yeah. I take, I take back. She, she she retracts her statement. Now. Yeah. That and would have been situation. Just let's just. That, would have would have been awkward doing the helmet thing with someone who you find out is your daughter. No, um, but that's another. Honestly, it's 1993 Sandra Bullock, so for me, it would have been a conversation in my head. <laughs> no, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't have. Wow. Okay. okay. Maybe. Um, and on that note, <laughs> no, uh, no, you bring it up real quick though. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because. Um, yeah, uh, they did that whole angle of, do you want to look up your daughter? And usually in films like this, oh, I'm going to go, or he's going to play creeper to where he finds out where she is and he sits outside her apartment and never interacts. But, oh, uh, that's, you know, but he doesn't do that. He says, no, it's going to be too much for my daughter. And I wouldn't even know where to begin. He's like, just leave it. And I was like, wow, you know, because, uh, you know, Sandra Bullock's character, she's like, well, I could just maybe look her. And he's like, nope don't even want to know he's like that's just not he because he's wants to do it for his daughter and not throw her life into a, like oh my god dad and you know all of that and i thought that was an interesting take too for his character was you never see his kid and you even get the feeling that he would never look up his daughter he's probably not going to actually look up his daughter at all you know where she actually lives in that um Though after that, I'm sure his face was on probably the news. That's what I was going to say. You know, she's going to know that her dad's thought out. Mm. Did they have news, though? Yeah. I I didn't see. Did they have a news clip at all? Because they. Didn't they have like the electronic newspaper? Am Am I dreaming? I feel like they had. I know they had some news in 1996. They had news in 96. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing in the future, though. Um, well, but that that maybe that was like an Easter egg for the sequel to Demolition Man, <laughs> where his daughter would show up or something, or it would turn out that it actually was Sandra Bullock because we don't know what uh, deals with her family. 
They're like, yeah, my dad was never around. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was <laughs> demolition dad. Demolition dad. Wow. Wow. See, this is what I get for not ending the podcast right away. Look what happened. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> seem to be hung on yeah no i um yeah <laughs> but i don't know i i don't think he ever goes seeks her out i i actually don't the feeling i get at the end is that just but i never saw new but that's what i'm trying to figure out is i'm trying to remember you don't see any news clip or reporters or newspapers there's not a warning out to Everybody, oh, there's a killer on the loose. You're right. You're right. I just realized that there's an absence of featuring media, which mostly films in this. At one point, you're going to get some futuristic news reporter with a futuristic microphone. With you know, well, it's entirely possible that much like we were talking about the the jingles replacing you know love songs, because there's no crime to report on. There's no there's nothing for the news machine to feed off of. There's no need for media. Because there's no dissenting opinion. There's no tragedy. We've just we've just opened up another door in the endless hallway that is demolition man <laughs> theories and possibilities. <laughs> I, I mean, no, now I don't want to end it a little bit because I'm, I'm thinking of this and I'm trying to think there was no media, but you're right. In a culture that is developed on not conflict. What would be news? You would just be having endless pup stories about puppies and kittens, you, you know, which isn't bad, but yeah, I mean, I suppose if there was a tornado or something, there could be an announcer to break in on the radio station that's playing the jingles to say, uh, take cover. But as far as like a 24 seven CNN, Fox, MSNBC type of deal, there's no industry there. No, there's nothing to talk. The, the end of the 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a utopia. <laughs> it is a utopia. <laughs> but it, because people seem to be surprised about, you know, the, the scraps, people attacking the food carts, you would think that would have been news, but you never see cameras or people with microphones interviewing people or, oh, terrorist attack or whatnot. So Cocteau never implemented media. Or he did away with actual media. So the I, yeah, I would I would say did away with it is probably more mm-hmm. accurate, especially if he's from that earthquake trying to rebuild a society in his own image. He wants as few eyes on him as possible. Not just that, but it's also living in the now. Mm-hmm. Because that's part of embracing the utopia is the past doesn't matter. So if something happens and the news is reporting on it, you're dwelling in the past. Mm. living right now yeah why that would be negative and you don't want to be negative don't have negative thoughts oh i don't like the negative you know even the large words they used you know and everything it's almost as if the only thing that they consumed or were taught was what they were taught in school and then after they get out of school it's just what they seek out and read but you don't have a media source presenting them of what things they could like. You've got a huge museum. You've got, and it's fact based mm. because media gives opinion, right? So, 
I got I, I gotta get off this live stream because I've been up way too long, yeah. but and and my brain is just I, I wanna have a demolition man discussion part two. Um <laughs> And that will be like six hours long because I'm going to be thinking about, I'm going to be dreaming about theories on this movie tonight. <laughs> well, maybe we can do a follow-up episode sometime. I'm, I'll be down for that. So. I would welcome that. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you very much all uh, for, uh, we actually have a, a watcher. So thank you for tuning in, uh, the folks who tuned in. And yeah, uh, I thank you so much. And next week we continue our I Am The Law episode with the man who Coined the phrase, I am the law. Uh, we will be looking at Judge Dredd. So we've been building up to this. We've talked about it. We're going to talk about it next week. So stay tuned for that, folks. That will be live here as well Tuesday night, 9.30 Central Standard Time. So thank you very much. And I would just say a good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>